0: Today, we're going to continue jumping back into our series we've been doing on the Minor Prophets with major messages. We started back in the fall at the beginning of what is known as the Book of the Twelve, which is that section in the Old Testament that includes all of the Minor Prophets. And though their writings are very brief, their messages are no less impactful to us today. They are minor prophets with major messages. And the last minor prophet we talked about was Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's message was trust God even when it doesn't make sense. And all of these prophets have had great, amazing, inspiring messages that speak to us today. Back in the fall, when I felt compelled to begin speaking and preaching from this, I didn't realize how timely. Their messages would be to our circumstance as a church, as global uh, people, as humans. It's so powerful and timely. And what the people of Israel and Judah were learning, we can learn some great lessons from them today. So we're going to continue looking today, talking about this next minor prophet whose name is Zephaniah. Zephaniah is, I think, believe number nine out of the twelve in the sequential order there. Uh, but his order, uh, just, just for your information, if you're reading the minor prophets, they are not chronologically in order. They are very scattered apart, but they tend to be prophesying in a similar range of time towards the ends of the kings through the early uh, days of the exile and late stages of the captivity and onward. Uh, so here they are. These minor prophets with major messages. And we're going to talk today about Zephaniah. And if you have your Bible, we're going to look at Zephaniah. We're going to skip around a little bit. But today, I want to tell you a little bit about the context of Zephaniah, maybe more than some of the other prophets we've talked about, because the context of Zephaniah is especially important to his message, uh, probably more than any of the other minor prophets. The things that had kind of led up to this place, he is speaking to some specific things that happened. And some of the minor prophets were not exactly sure and their timing of when they were uh, prophesied. But Zephaniah is pretty evident of the time he was prophesying. There are some events that are marked throughout Zephaniah. If you read it, he talks about the fall of Nineveh. He talks about some kings that we're going to talk about. And so we can pretty get, a, a, get a pretty good idea of when Zephaniah was prophesying. So the Bible tells us that Zephaniah was prophesied during the time of King Josiah. The kingdom of Israel had become divided, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Israel, and Judah. And here is King Josiah of Judah. And the line of the kings of Judah, just like the kings of Israel, were corrupt, very badly corrupt. Some kings would come along and they would do what was right, but most of them did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And it's interesting that King Josiah, Zephaniah prophesied during his lifetime because the Bible records about King Josiah that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So it could be that King Josiah was the perfect moment for God to speak to his people. But what was unique about Zephaniah's message was people had not heard from the Lord in a span of about 50 years. And so they had thought God was silent and God was distant. But what was happening was there was a voice of hope coming from Zephaniah. But we need to talk about the two previous kings that lead up to Zephaniah. Because these are the ones who really brought the judgment and the disaster and the destruction upon Judah as they did. And these two previous kings, the Bible calls them, the first one, his name is Manasseh. And Manasseh the Bible records as the most evil of all of the kings. Manasseh was, a, was part of Judah just like everybody else. But yet he lived a life and during his reign that was an absolute rebellion to God. Manasseh brought in some of the worst practices Judah had ever seen. And so the Bible tells us that he built altars to pagan gods, Baal and Asherah. The Bible goes on to tell us that he had the nerve to actually put them in the house of the Lord. So he had built pagan god statues and put them in the house of the Lord. The Bible goes on to tell us that he practiced witchcraft and wizardry, that he consulted with omens and foreseers of the future. The Bible goes on to say that he even shed innocent blood. And he is recorded, listen to this, this is specifically from 2 Kings. The Bible says that he did more evil than the nations that the Lord had destroyed. All of the opposing nations, the one who were full of paganry and all of the other things, the ones that God had destroyed, but yet Manasseh, he did more evil than all of them. Manasseh did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and what Manasseh brought about upon the people carried into their hearts and was a practice that almost had become very steeped within them. And so Manasseh died and next to reign was his son and his son was named was Amon. And Amon, likewise, did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. But the Bible goes on a little bit specifically and says something that is quite heartbreaking about about Amon. The Bible says that Amon actually abandoned the Lord and the ways of God. He abandoned the Lord and the ways of God. Can you imagine that? Here is the king of God's people who actually abandoned the Lord and the ways of God. It had brought a time upon the people that brought destruction. And what we see ultimately is it brought a people that were indifferent toward God and they were living as though God didn't exist. They almost lived as if they were atheists. And they looked after themselves (coughs) independent from him, which give way to every sin imaginable. And so when Zephaniah begins to speak, his message, imagine this, it's been silent for 50 years, and Zephaniah begins to speak, Zephaniah's message is a wake-up call. It's a 911 emergency call to the people to say, Hello, what has been going on? There is a big problem here, and we've got to get this fixed. And so Zephaniah speaks during the reign of King Josiah, and what's interesting about both of these people is Zephaniah is young, And the Bible also tells us that Josiah is young. Josiah took the throne when he was eight years old and was in the care of his mother for 31 years as he eventually were able to take the reins himself. So we see these two young guys that were beginning to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord and they were helping the former generation that had abandoned God begin to get on the right track. And so we're going to read in Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah chapter 1, the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, and son of Amariah, and son of Hezekiah, in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah. Now, I know that's one of those verses that we like to skip over. It's like, what in the world is all these people? I don't know who they are. But there is somebody very important I want you to see in this. And we're going to come back and talk to for a moment. The last king that he ends up to before his own present context was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is a king that has been referenced by other minor prophets. And so we need to take note of that. that what's, what's, what's the message that's trying to come across about Hezekiah? And we're going to skip around a little bit so you can jump with me, but I just want to read this first chapter or verse two real quick to give you a little bit of context about the judgment that was coming upon them. He says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the Lord, from the face of the earth, says the Lord. Then verse six, and those who have turned back from the Lord, from following the Lord, who have not sought the Lord, or inquired of him. Notice that this says they didn't seek the Lord and they didn't inquire of him. In verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. And the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. And he has consecrated his guest. In verse 12. And at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And I will punish the people who rest complacently on their dregs. And those who say in their hearts... The dregs are basically these barrels, empty barrels of, that will be carrying liquid. And then in verse 18, we, the, the chapter ends by saying this. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath in the fire of his passion. And the whole earth shall be consumed for a full, a terrible end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. This also gives context to verse 18 about how they were beginning to be be dependent upon money and resources more than they were dependent upon the Lord. And so I've been trying every minor prophet that we have going to give you a brief sentence that tells you the message of the minor prophet. And then as last time we talked about Habakkuk's message was trust God, even when it doesn't make sense. Zephaniah's message is just these three words, but it is the complete, really, I think, the best way that you can summarize what Zephaniah says. And it is a powerful reminder in the middle of the Old Testament of God's love and compassion for his people. And it's this come back home. Come back home. The ultimate theme that you see throughout Zephaniah's letter is this. It's a big word, but it is a word that he was trying to take them in on a process and help them to get back home, and it's called restoration. Restoration. Our organist the other day, I heard him walking through here, and he was talking about he wanted to uh, get a furniture polish for one of the Leslie's on the organ, and in his words, he said, to bring it back to life again. And you know that I reflected upon that later and I thought about, isn't that what uh, reminded me of those, those shows that you watch and these guys, they'll go and they'll pick through junk and they'll find these things that look like trash and they'll spend time on it and, and sanding it down and taking the rust off, painting it and making it new again, bringing it back to life. And what they do is called restoration, right? They restore, restore antiques and it's a hobby of many people. And this was similar to what God was trying to do in Zephaniah's day, was he was trying to restore them. He was trying to get them back to where they used to be and where they needed to be in their purpose and calling as God's people. And that's the whole, really the theme of what carries out through this letter is over and over again being restored back to God. And so there are four themes that talk about restoration throughout Zephaniah. And I just want to highlight them for you today as we talk about what does it mean to be restored? And what does it mean for God's people to be restored back to him once again? And number one is based off of chapter one, verse one. And it says this, that the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, who called himself and put himself in the direct line as the son of. Of Hezekiah. Now, if you'll remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the prophet Micah and how Micah referenced Hezekiah as well. It talked about the revival that was experienced in the days of Hezekiah. And during Hezekiah's life, if you go through and read about Hezekiah and Isaiah and through the kings, you'll see that Hezekiah lived a life that was dependent upon the Lord. When the enemies were approaching him, he went to God in prayer. When his own life was ill and he had sickness upon him, he went to God in prayer. And there was this constant coming and seeking the Lord that ultimately attributed to revival in the land. And so the first theme you're going to see is remember your best days with the Lord. All of these things that uh, Zephaniah wanted to remind them about was helping them to remember the days when their faith was renewed and vibrant. Like you and I, maybe when we became believers or when there was a time in our life and maybe it's today, maybe it's not. We're all at different places in our walk where our faith was the most exuberant, where we were most passionate for the Lord. His intention was not to call them back to relive those days, but it was to remember the faith and to remember how God was at work in their midst during their days and to remember how really their life was better during those days. And so to you and I, what does this say? It says to us to remember your best days with the Lord. Remember the days when you felt nearest to the Lord. Remember the days when you felt like you were closest to God. Remember the days when you felt like there was nothing that could stop you and you were going to run after the Lord with all of your might. Remember those days. It's easy in life to lose sight of that and life takes a toll on us all. We just went through a year that I think took a toll on us all. And sometimes what happens during that is our faith in our life as believers. Sometimes that little flame that was burning like a bonfire at one point begins to dwindle just to a little tea light candle flame. It happens to the best of us, all of us, and nobody's exempt from that. That's the that's what happens from life. Just that's just the nature of life. And what what Zephaniah wanted to do was to remind them that look to those days. Remember those days when God was so at work in your lives and you were experiencing his goodness and his best in those days. Remember your best days with the Lord to be restored. The second thing you're going to see is off of verse 6. The Bible said that they had not sought the Lord or inquired of him. And the second theme you're going to see is renew your commitment to seek the Lord. This sentence right here that says they did not seek the Lord or they had not sought the Lord or inquired of Him is a sentence that is found throughout the whole Old Testament. Over and over and over again we see this, that they the different references, David uses it, others use it. And it talks about that they did not seek the Lord or inquire of God. And ultimately what happens every time that that sentence is recorded, every time that it says that they did not seek the Lord or inquire of him, their demise came swiftly. And it's a a reminder to us to renew our commitment to seek the Lord. They went so far to seek wizards and omens and sought anyone and everything else other than the Lord. Now I don't know that there's people here today that are seeking those things, but in our own lives, maybe there are some things that we are seeking above the Lord. We're seeking maybe direction in other places that maybe not from the Lord. We're seeking how we should go about life from other things, but not from the Lord. And it's a reminder to us that seeking the Lord is not just a practice. It's not just something we do as believers. It's not just something we do on our checklist. I've got a a checklist I use on my phone pretty much every day, and it gives me reminders. And if I don't do it, you know, it keeps bugging me. And then eventually I have to hit the button that says, check it off, that it's completed. But that's not how seeking the Lord is supposed to be. A check mark. That I did that, I got it over with. No, that's not what God was calling them to do. That seeking the Lord is not just a practice. It is what keeps us alive as believers. God wasn't demanding their attention. God wanted a relationship with them. And so because they didn't seek the Lord or inquire of them, they went about their own path to destruction. This was what happened in the beginning with the kings. If you'll go back and remember Samuel, the Bible says they came to Samuel and they said, we want a king who's stronger, who's taller and better than all of the other nations. And Samuel said, no, this isn't what God wants. And they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And eventually Samuel went to the Lord in prayer and he said to them, he said, Samuel, it's not you that they have forsaken. It's me that they have forsaken as their king. They wanted somebody else. They wanted something else. And this is a a, a habit of us as people, I think. It's just the nature of humanity, that we have a habit to seek things so easily other than the Lord. Instead of praying about it, we go and we worry about it. Instead of seeking God about what we should do, we go and we do it anyways. We have this habit of trying to be what's going to lead us to our next thing, independent. And that was their problem, was that they tried to be independent instead of being connected to the Lord. So restoration starts by remembering your best days with the Lord, renewing your commitment to seek the Lord. Establish a prayer life. Establish reading God's word. Don't make it a checklist habit. Make it a time of building your relationship with God. And number three, you're going to see this in verse 12, that they said... The Bible says of them that they rested complacently on their dregs. And they said in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do harm. Picture this. They basically had these barrels, big barrels, wooden barrels perhaps. And they had them sitting all over the town and you know, on the town streets. And here they were, the Bible says, they had taken a seat on top of them. They were complacent. And as they were having their day to day conversation, they would say to one another, God's not going to do anything. He's not going to do good and he's not going to do harm. They basically called him a liar and said, yeah, whatever Zephaniah is saying, whatever the other prophets are saying, he's not going to do that. They had become complacent. They had got an attitude of apathy. We don't care. They had got an attitude that says, But just stay sitting here. It doesn't matter. We don't care. They had given up on the Lord altogether. And I want you to hear this today, that a belief in our self-sufficiency keeps us from recognizing our dependency upon God. Ultimately, their self-sufficiency led to disaster. Their attitude of complacency that said, I don't need the Lord in my life. I can go on about my life the own way that I want to, that it ultimately led to their destruction. And complacency and self-satisfaction is a very dangerous issue for Christians. It is what led Lucifer to be cast out of heaven. It's what led Adam and Eve to be kicked out of the garden. And it ultimately is the nothing can weaken or destroy a spiritual life more than an attitude of self-sufficiency. Because when we become self-sufficient and complacent and self-satisfied, what we have done is said, now in my life, Charlie is God. I am God over my life. And we kicked God off of the throne of our heart. Complacency prevents us from becoming all that God longs to see us to be. And can I be honest with you? It is completely exhausting. I don't know about you, but if you've gone in your life and you've had a little season of rebellion, you thought I can do it all on my own. I know what's best for my life. I can do this or do that. It's exhausting. And when you get to the end of that road, you ultimately discover I can't do it. I'm empty. Apart from the Lord, I am nothing. I need God to lead me. I need God to guide me. There's nothing better than a life that is dependent upon the Lord. And ultimately, what Zephaniah was trying to get them to do was to realize you have been complacent and you have thought you could do it all on your own. But I'm telling you something today. You need the Lord. Live a life that is dependent upon God. And in this year, how important for us to recognize our dependency upon God. I personally think one of the effects of a global pandemic has helped us to realize our dependency upon God. That my strength, my sustenance, grace comes from the Lord. We need the Lord. That has been the big reminder of 2020 in my life is we need God more than ever before. It teaches us to be dependent upon them. And the Bible ultimately gives us this picture, and I really want you to hear my heart on this, is the Bible shows that when they said, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do harm, they discredited God, and they became cold towards the Lord. They became cold and distant. We don't know the Lord. He's not going to do what he said. He's not going to do any harm. They had given up on God, and they had become, uh, I want to call it this, idol They were just kind of parked. There they were, sitting on their barrels, not doing a thing. They had become idle. And earlier this week, as I was meditating and reflecting upon this, I was reminded of a scripture in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, where the Bible talks about Paul is trying to talk to this church in Thessalonica, and there's been some rumors and, and really some false prophecies and false things that had been said about the people at the time, about the coming of the Lord. And Paul is trying to admonish them from God's word and help them to get on track and not listen to all of those heresies that were coming about. They were wondering, is Jesus going to do this when he comes or is he going to come here or now? And really they had got almost fearful. And what Paul was trying to do was to remind them in this day, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, admonish the idlers. What had happened was they had become so kind of obsessed with the coming of the Lord. Some people would even run out to the mountains and the the deserts and the caves and hide away and just wait for God to come, but weren't doing anything with their lives. And they had become idlers. And that word in the Greek means something that I just, it really opened my eyes up. And it literally means this, to be away from one's post. It means to basically walk away from your job. Walk away from your purpose. Leave the thing which God ordained for your life. And that's what Paul was trying to tell them, was go around to those believers and they're sitting there and they're not involved and they're just kind of waiting around. Don't let them be that way. Because what he saw was an ultimate self-satisfaction that was coming about, that they thought that they were enough. They didn't need community. They didn't need one another. And there was this life of self-sufficiency that had become in the idler. But in this, God is calling us back to our post. Listen, life has its effect on all of us. And it might have taken a little wind of life, or it might have taken a global pandemic. It might have taken this or that. But there are sometimes things in our life that kind of help us easily leave our post. But God doesn't want us to leave our post. What, what, when we do that, we leave the thing which he ordained for our lives the purpose which he made us for and in this Paul wanted to tell them admonish them hey guys don't don't be idle don't wander away come back in every almost every new testament writer warns about wandering away from the faith and because it was happening everywhere they looked that they were wandering away But God was trying to remind them don't wander stay faithful Keep being with the Lord. Keep seeking God. Keep serving, loving, giving, because that is who I have called you to be as my church. Recognize your dependency upon the Lord. And I don't know about you, but man, this year, I think last year, if anything, for me personally, this is just Charlie's been in Charlie's journal, and I think it's probably true of all of us. Hey, I know I need the Lord. Like that little. Chicklet, right, it has to be in the, in the nest and waiting for the mother bird to come and bring the food. That's me every day. Lord, I can't make it without you. I can't jump out this nest and fly unless you give me the strength. I can't go on with my life without you. Apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. And finally, this, in their process of restoration, they saw this, is in chapter three and verse two, the Bible said of them that they had not trusted in the Lord and they had not drawn near to God. He goes on to say that the prophets, they have become reckless and they have become faithless people. Says the priest, they profaned what is sacred and they done violence to the law. All of this to say that what he was calling them to was to revive their faith in God. In the new year, can I tell you what God is calling all of us to do? All of us, every single one of us, starting with me, is to revive our faith in the Lord. To help us to put our anchor in Jesus and nothing else. And this was what God wanted so badly for the people and ultimately was what attributed to their self-sufficiency was they stopped trusting in God. They stopped drawing near to the Lord and instead they thought they were enough and they could do it all on their own. But what God wanted them to see was to revive their faith, resuscitate their faith, bring it back to life once again. Stop trusting in this or that. Stop trusting in everything around you. Stop looking to King Josiah. Stop looking to King NASA, and put your faith in God and draw near to Him. This is why He would go. On, David would say this: that some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. The Bible goes on to admonish us that the righteous shall live by their sight. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says the righteous shall live by faith. Why would God tell his people that the righteous shall live by faith? Because the Lord knew that the persecution that was ahead of them, the struggle that was ahead of them, that if they were gonna live their life by what they could see, they would never make it. But they had to learn to live their lives past what they could see with their eyes and instead looking to the supernatural, what they could not see. So therefore God called them the righteous righteous shall live by faith. And I want to encourage us this year, whatever comes up ahead, whatever is before us, whatever comes, it doesn't matter. The Bible tells us the righteous shall live by faith, not by sight. Don't let your faith be dwindled or don't let your faith be diminished by what you can see with your eyes. Instead, let your faith be placed upon the Lord who is the word of God and his word is true. And he is faithful to every word he said. He's not like the people of Israel said, the Lord will not do good. He's a liar. No, he is faithful to his word. And in this year, may we revive our faith in God. Whatever comes, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm not going to live my life on sand. I'm not going to live my life on a foundation that is shifty. I'm going to live my life planted in the Lord. Can I tell you a secret about the early church? This is why the early church made it to the end, despite everything that was against them. Go through and read Hebrews chapter 11 sometime. The Bible tells about all the things that they went through. Musicians are going to come. All the sufferings they endured. The Bible says some of them were imprisoned. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them lost their lives. They were shipwrecked. All of these different things that happened to them, but they made it to the end. How could they make it to the end if they were living by what they could see? They made it to the end because they were not living their lives based upon sight. They were living their lives by faith because they knew that God was faithful to his word. And if I can just get my eyes off of the things which I can see, then I know the Lord is gonna take care of it. It's like Elisha's servant, when he came to him and he said, Elisha, Elisha, look all around us, there's an army coming and they're gonna get us, they're after us, we're gonna die. And Elisha said, watch this. And he prayed, God open up the eyes of the servant. The Bible says his eyes opened up and he looked all around him. And what he saw was the angels of the armies of heaven surrounding them, chariots of fire, a glorious army before them. And he realized that his life wasn't intended to be built off of what he could see. His life was intended to be built by faith. Revive your faith in God this year. Zephaniah leaves us with this, and I want to leave you with this. This is probably my most favorite verse in all of the Bible found in Zephaniah, but a reminder for us today. Zephaniah chapter 3 says this, The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall fear disaster no more. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And he will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. As on a day of festival. In verse 20. And at that time, I will bring you home. Zephaniah's message is this. Come back home. God, wasn't, God didn't want to bring judgment upon his people. He didn't want to bring all of the things that their sin had brought upon them. No, this is the heart of God for his people. The Lord is in our midst. He's a warrior who's giving us victory. He wants to rejoice over us with gladness. And he wants to exult over us with loud singing. Can you imagine that? The God of the universe wants to sing over you and I. Like a father would sing over his child, rocking it to sleep. That's the father with us is he wants to rejoice with gladness over us. It's like Jesus, when he looked at Jerusalem, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks under its wings. But you would not let me. And that's the heart of the father is to simply bring us home. Bring us near, bring us to the place that is close to him. God is not concerned so much about all of the other things. He just wants a relationship with you and I. He just wants to be close to you and I. He created us. And don't you think if you created something, you would want to be close to it too? That's the heart of the Father is He loves His creation so much is that He wants to live life with you and I right near us. And He is not just doing it with sadness. He wants to do it with joy and gladness over us. And I love the part in there that says this, that He will renew you in His love. Isn't that God? Isn't that just like God to say in the middle of this, here is a people, they've been rebellious to the Lord. They've put, thrown it all back in his face. But he would say, no, he just wants to renew you in his love. Isn't that just like our father to say something like that? He's too good to us. And today, I'm just here to remind us and encourage us all. Maybe you've wandered away a little bit. drifted away a little bit. Maybe life got its best on you. You're feeling a little shallow in your faith. Maybe you've been living your life by what you can see. It's damaged your faith. I want to remind you today there's a God who wants to renew you in his love. Just like those New Testament writers. You wandered away from the Lord. He's calling. Come back home. Come back home. Come back and be near to Him more than ever before. Stay near to Him. Maybe you wandered away from the Lord in this pandemic. The Father is calling to you today. Come back home. Be near to Him. Be close to Him. Seek the Lord. Renew your commitment. Recognize your dependency. And remember your best days with the Lord. That's God's heart for you and I. Would you stand with me today? close your eyes with me this morning right where you're at may God search all of our hearts today maybe you feel distant to the Lord today listen God is not holding you back from coming to Him all you've got to do is come come home come home come to the place near the Father find your strength in Him and not in this world oh Jesus Lord we repent today we repent Lord for how sometimes God we have drifted away but Lord today we pray that you may restore us bring us back to life Lord revive us once again renew us God, maybe there's a believer here today, watching online, and they left their post. They gave up on the thing you called them to, and Lord, today I pray that you would remind them of your call upon their lives. And I pray, God, they would not grow weary in well-doing, but that you would renew their faith today. You're not an angry father, you're a glad father. Just patiently waiting even in our wickedness in times we just wander away lord you're so loving and patient and kind with us and lord may we come near to you again today god maybe we have just given up on our faith altogether we're just going through the motions there's nothing behind it it's just a show i pray to gate today lord that we would be restored once again. Bring us back to life. Lord, I pray that today, those who have walked away from their post, that they would hear you singing over them and that you would renew them in your love. We are the sheep of your pasture and you are our shepherd. You're our father and we are your children. So, Lord, renew us today. Lord, don't let us go into this year away from you, distant from you. May we go this year closer, closer, closer than we've ever been before. Lord, I thank you for your word. You said, my sheep know my voice, and I call them by name, and they follow me because they know my voice. Lord, may you speak to your sheep today. Lord, to that one that left the 99, would you chase after them today, Lord, and bring them home. calling to you today, just respond to him. Just tell him your heart. Just like you would talk to a parent. Talk to him. Make it right. Renew your commitment. Seek him. Inquire of him. Don't lose the faith. May God fan in the flames the gift of God in you today. Bring it back to life. again. Lord, we welcome your restoration here today. As the choir sings, would you just listen to the Lord calling to you? Open up your mouth, talk to him.